Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 40. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but we are still, nevertheless, coming in at the middle of a story. So I will, I will take a moment to catch you up if you weren't here last week, or just to remind you um, what was going on. So last week, in God's Word, we were reading about King, evil King Ahab's plan to attack a city that used to be his, Ramoth-Gilead, a city on a valuable trade route east of the Jordan River. And Ahab had King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, uh, at, uh, come to visit him. And at that time, he asked King Jehoshaphat for help. And Jehoshaphat suggested that they first ask the Lord's approval, the Lord's counsel on this battle. So at this suggestion, Je- uh, evil King Ahab quickly produced 400 yes men, 400 false prophets who were happy to promise Ahab a great victory. And then Jehoshaphat said, but is there a prophet of Yahweh here? And Ahab admitted there was still one left, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but he said, I hate him because he always prophesies evil of me. And sure enough, he was right. Micaiah had bad news for Ahab, for Ahab was the Lord's enemy. He hated the Lord. He hated God's word. He hated the Lord's prophets. But he should have listened because in this chapter, in our passage, Ahab is killed. This is Ahab's last chapter. Now, our passage this morning will take us from the throne room of heaven to the battlefield at Ramoth Gilead and to the pools of Samaria where the dogs will lick up King Ahab's blood. But I want it to also take us on a tour of our own hearts as well. Ahab despised, he resisted, he ignored God's word. How will you respond to God's word? Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes, give us ears to hear what you say, help us to respond correctly to your word in a way that's glorifying to you and edifying to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 22. I will start at verse 19. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit 
in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, and take him back to Amon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him meager rations of bread and water, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear, all you peoples. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither the small nor the great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around, carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, Every man to his city, every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house that he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. This is God's word. Now, the first point I want to set before you this morning is the clarity of God's word. And you might find that to be a surprising first point, because our passage begins with an unusual story about deceit. It might leave you with a few questions. Now, it still leaves me with a few questions. We ask, what's going on here? Micaiah has just prophesied some bad news for Ahab. He said, I saw all Israel scattered like sheep on the mountains, and they, and it was, and they had no shepherd, and then they all returned home in peace. And Micaiah understood immediately what this meant. It's an unlikely prophecy, though. The prophecy meant that, that the king would be killed in the battle. He is the shepherd of Israel. And that Israel would be scattered, but they wouldn't be destroyed. 
they would all return home in peace. And that's unlikely, because usually the king would be the last person killed. Everybody would die protecting him. Instead, the king will die, the army will be okay, and they'll go back home. So, but Ahab understands the prophecy immediately in verse 18. He tells Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he, would, he always, made, always prophesied evil concerning me? And that Ahab will die in this battle is made more clear in verse 28 when Micaiah says, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Listen, all of you. So Ahab and Micaiah both understand what God is saying. Ahab will not return from this battle alive. He will die. Now, if you stop and think about that, what a bold message this is to proclaim to the king of Israel, a man who's notorious for killing the Lord's prophets. Micaiah is, is right up there with Elijah for bravest prophets in the Old Testament, standing up against these kings, 400 false prophets, and coming up and speaking boldly the word of the Lord. But you see, Micaiah has this boldness, it seems, because he has seen a greater king. That's where our passage begins. He doesn't see just two earthly kings on their thrones with 400 people. He sees the Lord of all on his throne. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. We were just singing this morning, a mighty fortress is our God. And we come to that verse. I think it's the second verse where it says, dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabaoth, his name. Most of us, when we sing that, we don't know, what does that mean? And you hear a lot of people say, Lord, Sabbath, his name. Sabaoth means Lord of hosts, Lord of armies, and he must win the battle. That's what Micaiah saw, the Lord on his throne with the whole host of heaven to his right and to his left. He's not terrified in comparison of King Ahab, who's about to die, and King Jehoshaphat, he has seen the Lord. And last week I compared this, this royal scene, these two kings on their thrones with their robes that are described, and God on his throne. But what we didn't see, what I didn't point out last time, was that it's not just a comparison of kings on their throne. It is a comparison of councils of war. There is a God in the heaven. He does what he pleases. Ahab is not invincible. But what he says, as we read in our passage today, what he sees at that war council is surprising. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and his left. And we see that he is at a council of war. He uh, Ahab and, and uh, Jehoshaphat have been planning out their battle against Syria at Ramoth-Gilead. At the same time, God in heaven is having a war council planning out his battle against Ahab, who he wants to fall at Ramoth-Gilead. That is a little bit scary so Ahab, 
He thinks that he might take Syria by surprise. He will not take God by surprise. He thinks he has this idea to go up and take Ramoth Gilead. God is the one who's leading them there so he can be killed. It's judgment time for Ahab. Not only does God know that Ahab is coming to Ramoth Gilead, God is making sure that he comes by encouraging, having, having his false prophets encouraging him to go. So the door is open. All the prophets are saying, it's time to go. Unbelievers, this is scary. Just because God opens a door for you, it doesn't mean that it's going to be good for you to walk through it. That's what happens for Ahab. The door is open. If you are an unbeliever, you're not safe anywhere. There is a place of safety for you. But just because things seem to work out well for you, it doesn't mean that it's going to end well. It won't. You will be miserable forever unless you come to the Lord. That is the place of safety. That was the place of safety for King Ahab. This is a terrifying thought. For those of you who have not yet been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you may be in Ahab's position. At that very moment, you're planning out your victory. You're planning out how to expand your kingdom. God is in heaven planning your destruction. Psalm 145, 20 assures us, the Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Again, we're told that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you're proud, that is terrifying because then God is your enemy. That is a battle that you will not win. It is the time for you to humble yourself before the Lord because he gives grace to those in need, but he opposes the proud. If you continue to resist him, be assured that God has set your foot in slippery places and you will fall in due time. It may be like Ahab, your destruction comes at the very moment that you are presuming victory. But there is hope for you that I am glad to offer in God's name for you. For Ahab, there was still one man that Micaiah, that 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 was there to tell Ahab of the error of his ways. Micaiah, the son of Imlah. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says in Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? For you who are lost, those of you who are outside of Christ, God will take no pleasure in your destruction. God sent his son for sinners that you might be saved. Come to him, and he will by no means cast you out. But Ahab would heed no warning, despite God sending him messenger after messenger, despite sending him Elijah and Micaiah, these two brave prophets. Ahab will continue to resist God all the way to his own destruction. 
Don't make Ahab's mistake. Today, there is still someone telling you that there is a way of salvation offered for you. It's not too late today. Don't wait till tomorrow. I've checked the calendar. It's not on there. It's just today. Today is the day of salvation. Turn back from your evil ways. Turn to the Lord and be saved. Now, as Micaiah tells Ahab of God's heavenly counsel, he tells him something that might leave us with some questions. The Lord says, starting verse 20, who will entice Ahab to go out to Ramoth Gilead and fall? And one said one thing, and another said another thing. This is hard for us to really imagine. What's going on? Then a spirit comes forward before God, stands before him and says, I will entice him. And the Lord says, well, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him. You will succeed. Go and do so. So what's going on here? Is God deceitful? Certainly not. His word is truth. As I said before, his word is clear. Now, not that everything in Scripture is equally clear, but the very fact that it is true makes it a bright light in comparison with with the way sin and falsehood blind us. So let's be clear here. It's not as if Ahab is seeking the truth, seeking God's face to know what's true, and God deceives him. Ahab doesn't want the truth. He has done everything in his power to silence God's voice and completely eradicate it from the world. He has hunted down the prophets of the Lord. He hates the ones that are left. Instead, he has surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men, these 400 guys. Every time Ahab posts something on Facebook, immediately 400 likes. It makes him feel good. It makes him feel safe when he's got the numbers on his side. He wants them to say only what he wants. He, he, he wants them to say only what he wants them to say. He doesn't want to hear what God actually says. Now, God has merely allowed Ahab to continue to be deceived by these false prophets. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 is really a perfect description of what is going on here. It says this, Paul wrote this, concerning the wicked who do not love the truth. He said, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. That is Ahab's condition right here. He did not believe the truth, and so God sent upon him a deluding influence that he might believe what is false. He refused to hear God, and he allowed Ahab to be further and further corrupted in mind. See, Ahab hates God's word, he hates the truth. He wants to listen to false prophets. God allows him to be deceived by false prophets. Ahab loves blindness. God is allowing him to be blinded in order that he might be judged. First Kings and Second Thessalonians are saying the same thing. But God is being very clear. Through Micaiah, 
he has told Ahab exactly what is going to happen. He has not withheld the truth from him. He tells it to him anyway. He's even told him how it was in the heavenly council that his own false prophets were deluded. He has told him everything much more and much more clearly than almost anybody else gets any revelation. God has been very clear in telling the truth. So if, however you wrestle with this passage, remember that. God is telling the truth here. The false prophet's message is wrong, and God exposes them as wrong here. Now, when Micaiah tells the truth so clearly, the leader of the false prophet comes out and smacks him on the cheek. No surprise there. God's word has always been opposed by wicked men, and so God's messengers have been persecuted. Later, Paul would be struck by the high priest for Christ's sake. You may be persecuted as well. Just because God's in control, sitting on his throne, doesn't mean he won't allow anything bad to happen to you. Micaiah has seen God on his throne. He still gets hit in the face. But there is comfort knowing that Jesus was slapped for our sake too. Blessed are you who are persecuted for Christ's sake, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now Ahab hates God's word, and so he persecutes God's messenger, Micaiah. He takes, tells them to seize Micaiah, throw him in prison, and only give him just a little bit of bread and water until I return safely. So he's saying, this is defiance. I will come back. I will have the last word. God will be wrong. I will be right. Leave him there until I return safely. But time will tell which of the prophets is false. So before Micaiah is taken away, he says, if you return safely, I haven't spoken by the Lord. Listen, everyone. And then he goes. So when Ahab dies, it becomes clear that all those 400 guys were false prophets. Now, God's word, nevertheless, seems to have some effect on Ahab. It worries him a little bit. He says, I'm going to come back here safely, but you know, he's still worried. He thinks he has to outsmart God. So, like a coward, he tells Jehoshaphat to wear, make sure you wear all your royal garments when you go out into the battle so everybody will attack you. I'm going to go in a disguise. I don't know why Jehoshaphat says, Sure, I'll do that, but he does. So Jehoshaphat wears his royal garments, but, and Ahab goes disguised. But why? Why wear a disguise? If Micaiah lied, what are you worried about? If Micaiah told the truth, how is the disguise going to help you? You think God's going to be fooled? So, see, Ahab is worried by God's word, but he won't obey it. He, like many people today, will hear it and try to ignore it or try to overcome it. But what use is a disguise when God sees through all your deceit? Your hearts are laid wide open before him. You might fool others. You might fool yourself. You'll never fool him. There's no hiding your heart or your motives there's no deleting your internet history or history of anything else from him. Everything 
is open and exposed before God, even your hearts. His eyes are always upon you. For Micaiah in prison, that's a comfort. But for Ahab, this is bad news. Disguises won't work against the Lord. Did he forget that King Saul disguised himself when he went to the witch at Endor in 1 Samuel 28? It didn't work. Saul died in battle the next day. Saul received, the message that Saul received that the next day, he and his sons would die and his kingdom would be turned over to David. He might have forgotten that, but what about the story of King Jeroboam? King Jeroboam told his wife to disguise herself to fool Ahijah the prophet, even though Ahijah the prophet was blind already. Still makes her wear a disguise, and as she comes to the door, Ahijah says, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another woman? I am sent to you with a harsh message. And Ahijah's message to her was that King Jeroboam and his sons would die and that the kingdom would be given to another. And anyone belonging to the house of Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. Doesn't that sound familiar? That was 1 Kings 14. King Ahab's story starts in 1 Kings 16. So that was just not very long ago. He thinks a disguise will somehow work this time. Now, why does he think that that mighty King Ahab think that wearing a disguise is a good idea? Why do we? This never ends well. Later on, in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, even good King Josiah would try to disguise himself in battle against the Lord's warning. I'll give you one guess of what happened. Shot by an arrow in his chariot and killed. That's what happened to Ahab. Ahab wasn't killed because of the king of Syria's strategy. He couldn't even find Ahab. He didn't know where he was, but God knew exactly where he was. So some random guy, it says, shoots an arrow at random. It just happens to sail through the air and hit King Ahab with a precision that Robin Hood couldn't rival. It goes right between the joints of his armor and his breastplate. One preacher said, Ahab was plated all over with iron and brass, but there is always a crevice through which God's arrow can find its way. That is the power of God's word. That is the certainty of God's word. There is no use fighting it. No use hiding from it. So I was thinking about this passage. I was reminded of a story of a guy named Perry Miller. Perry Miller was at one time in the 1900s for a while, really America's foremost authority on Jonathan Edwards. Remarkably, Perry Miller was not a Christian. One time, Perry Miller was sitting down, I think it was with R.C. Sproul. They were sitting at a table and they were talking about this imagery that, that Jonathan Edwards used in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How sin, sinners were like a spider that he would hold out above the fire. All was left. All he had to do was just let go, and they would be consumed. And that God's 
God had a bow ready, and the bow was already drawn, and its arrow was pointed directly at the heart of the wicked. And R.C. Sproul said, if that's true, then God's arrow is pointing directly at your heart, Perry. And he said, I know. And after they ate together in silence for another minute, Sproul said, I wonder how you sleep at night. And Perry Miller said, sometimes I don't. So he was convicted by God's word, but it didn't lead him to repentance. For those of you who still have God's arrow pointed at your heart, I know a way for you to sleep like a baby at night. God has extinguished his wrath on Christ Jesus. If you run to him, you will be as safe as safe can be. He will forgive you. He will turn away that wrath. He will propitiate it that you might be not just forgiven, but that you might be adopted, that you might be his child. Oh, that King Ahab would have listened before it was too late. That evening, Ahab died. Israel was scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And at sunset, everyone returned to his home in peace, just as God had said. Ahab's dead body was brought back to the capital city, Samaria, where he was buried. His chariot was washed off near the pool of Samaria, where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood. That is a, it's a pretty disgusting verse, I'll be honest. It's a testimony of the wickedness of Ahab's kingdom. It's also the fulfillment of God's word to Ahab through the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 21. He said, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. God's word through Elijah came true. God's word through, through Micaiah came true. So it happened. God's word is true. This is a scary passage, but there's good news in it too. And you might say, where? But if God's word is true, always. If God's word is true when it comes to judgment, if God's always trustworthy, doesn't it mean that his promises are trustworthy too? Those of you who trust in, the, in Christ, praise the Lord. You have a hope that will not disappoint. Now Ahab's life and accomplishments are then summed up in one verse, verse 21. Yeah, he built a palace and some cities and did some other things. It's written somewhere else, isn't it? These are things that would impress men, perhaps, but not God. Is that success? No, it's just the footnote of a wasted life. Ahab's eternal legacy, like yours, will be judged, not according to worldly standards, but by how he responded to God's word. So what will your legacy be? How will you respond? 
Lord, we ask that you would convict us of sin in a way that would cause us to turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Help us to turn to him that we might have life and have it abundantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.